Welcome to Prescribing Prosperity with your hosts, John and Alex Sutsos from MedWealth Financial Services, operating through IPC Securities Corporation. In this podcast, we provide unique insights into wealth management, the psychology of financial decisions, and help listeners place the capital markets into perspective. Our aim is to help physicians, business owners, and other medical professionals to live their dream. Life is to live and enjoy, so we'll also cover health and lifestyle-related topics such as food, dining, travel, and unique experiences. Learn how global trends shape our investment strategy as we help you assemble your roadmap to prosperity. Hello and welcome to the Prescribing Prosperity Podcast with John and Alex Sutos. Guys, good to be with you again. I haven't seen you and I missed you. How are things going? <laughs> yeah, we miss you too, Bill. Oh, Great thanks. to see you too, Bill. Are, are you Thank sharpening you your uh, knife and fork for Thanksgiving? Actually, yes. As a matter of <laughs> <laughs> if we hear any grinding noises in the background, Bill's uh, got a, a butcher knife. Well, you know, the, the, the next off. time the next time we do this, I might be so large they've got to pull me up the stairs. So you know, mm. <laughs> we shall Just see what happens. Got to get the George Costanza chairlift. Exactly. Exactly. Well, look, I have to apologize right up front, guys, because I, I I noticed that this is a podcast today about men's fashion and entrepreneurship. And I realized as I sat down, I'm wearing the wardrobe meant for podcasting, not really for a <laughs> sartorial excellence. Unless, of course, if you're just listening to this podcast, we're all dressed in Armani suits. So mm. leave That's it in right. that way. Well, let's leave it that way. Here to help along the conversation is Wasim Alraz. He is the owner and founder of No Adonis Satorial Garments. So welcome, Wasim. Welcome to the podcast. Good to see you. Good to talk to you. See you too. And uh, thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate it. Oh, fantastic. And with that introduction, I'll turn it over to uh, Alex and let him start the conversation. Yes, sir. Thank you, Bill. And welcome, Wasim. Uh, we're really excited to have you on. For uh, for those who don't know, I met with Seem. Uh, it's actually probably been at least ten years now with Seem. Uh, when I first met you, I was working at uh, CI Investments, and you were working at Harry Rosen at the time. And while out for dinner one night with a uh, a lady friend, I had uh, a bit of an incident on one of my suits, and unfortunately, the I took it to the dry cleaner and they ruined it. And so never go and do business with tip top tailor or uh, tip top uh, dry cleaners, I should say. Uh, so anyway, I uh, ended up having to come see with seam because I'd bought the the suit from Harry Rosen. It was a beautiful blue suit, had some nice pinstripes in it, but I digress. And uh, I actually was dealing with another individual at Harry Rosen who was woefully unhelpful. And so uh, thankfully, they recommended that I uh, I speak to with seam. They said he was their expert on staff and I'm very glad that they did because ever since then, I have not wanted to deal with anybody else. Uh, my grandfather was a tailor. My grandmother uh, also was a uh, was a seamstress and my other grandmother was a seamstress. And so we come from a, a long line of uh, people with high standards and uh, high expectations when it comes to clothing. And Wasim was the only one who was able to meet those expectations. And truly, we felt had the knowledge and understanding to be able to, uh, to guide us and, and provide us with the right knowledge in order to uh, to help us. So uh, we really appreciate uh, having you around, Wasim. Oh, I appreciate you, Alex. I appreciate you. You you, ha you have a father too, you know, who wore suits for a long time. <laughs> Listen, I'm not coming to you for fashion advice. I I saw what you wore for a long time. 
Hey, hey, I had nice suits on, you know, everyone at the hockey rink said, that's the guy with the suit. I remember you, you're the guy with a suit. Well, when you're comparing them to the old timers wearing Wrangler jeans and uh, flannel shirts, it's uh, not much of a step up, but anyway, you did have some, you did have some nice garments. Always fit well. <laughs> yes. He did have nice suits with him. I, I only bug him. I used to actually really like as a kid going to Harry Rosen with him and looking around the store. I always thought it was a, it was a cool store, but that's uh, that's enough about us. Yeah. We want to uh, learn a little bit about you. So, uh, Wasim, why don't you tell us a little bit about your career journey and how you ended up on your own or ended up with your own uh, cl- custom clothing company? All right. So uh, I started initially with with my dad. My dad used to own uh, a couple of stores in different malls, and he would get me in at the uh, at the young age of eight nine years old and try to tell and tell me to do inventory, count these pants, and. You know, there's days where after school, I just come spend time with him at the shop there. And um, I just grew a liking, even as a young kid, like, you know, all my clothes needed to be neat at nine, 10 years old. If I spilled something, you got to change it, trying to match all these colors and stuff like that. Right. So I spend a good chunk like uh, childhood with my dad in that he eventually got out of the business. I went on to school, studied business finance at Ryerson. And the goal was, hey, let's go. You know, you're going to go work at a bank. So I finished school. I finished high school back in Lebanon, and then I was actually born here in Edmonton. So that's where it kind of he, he started in Edmonton with that business, and then when he moved down here to Pickering and then Scarborough, and but anyway, so I was born in Edmonton, and when I came back to Canada, I was like, okay, it's a part-time job. I worked at Timberland initially, mm-hmm. selling casual clothing and stuff like that. And here, here we had Timberland and Tip Top was under the same umbrella. Right. So eventually they closed all Timberland stores and the vice president came and said, would you like to move over part-time to work at uh, tip top where you sell more formal, formal stuff, suits, you know, dress here, dress casual. So I got into that. And since then I always, even working at tip top, they, the, the, the VP or the president would be like, I think you're the best dressed person that that works. He's like, you look even, you look, you look sharper than I do sometimes. Like <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, there was times where he would be in the shop as well, like just to come and visit. And then customers would come in and ask him a question. And then he wouldn't answer because little things, you know, they wouldn't answer. He'd be like, how about you ask your manager? And he's like, wow. Well, what makes you say he's my manager? He's like, well, it's because of the way he's dressed. He's like, well, it's like, <laughs> the other way around. Right? So <laughs> I just grew like, uh, um, yeah, it was just being able to see style and, and enjoy it and from there on, I moved on to Harry Rosen. Harry Rosen to me was a little intimidating in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Plenty of times where I would walk by and be like, okay, maybe I should go in there and apply. Maybe I should go in there and apply and stuff like that. But it's just how they presented themselves. And But once I started there, even the DM there was just like, you fit right in with how you're how you put yourself together compared to you're still wearing your suits that are, for example, you're buying your suits at Tip Top. You're not buying these Harry Rosen, Hugo Boss, Armani suits yet. But yet you were able to present yourself where, you know, you like look good. Client is going to look at you and be like, okay, you look good. You fit in type of thing. Yeah. So, and from there, yeah, just, just started out here, Rosen. And for me, it was just like, for us here, you know, like Harry Rosen is probably like the top, you know, it's almost like um, when we left there, it's like you graduated the school of Harry Rosen because yeah. They take you to, through some serious training to be able to sell a suit. You can, they don't just get anybody and throw them in there and be like, all right, here you go, start selling a suit. It was more like you got to pass certain tests. You got to do this closemanship. You got to make sure a suit fits properly. So it took me about six months. And I failed actually three times 
uh, trying to sell, uh, trying to sell, uh, to, to, to fit a suit properly. Eventually, like once I nailed it, it was like, because my manager at that time was like, I know you can do better, you know? So yes, in other standards, they'll probably pass you if it was a different manager, but I, I see the, I see how well you, how serious you take this. So I know you can do better. And then, um, yeah, so you pass that. It all becomes like, again, you graduated, graduated the school of Hey Rosen here in, in Canada. Right. And um, became a sales manager from there. And then, you know, it just becomes like, it's almost like a threshold that you, you get to. Right. So mm. it's like, all right, so what's next after this? And you're working at a place where you're selling, you're selling other brands. Yeah. Right. And like with me, I would follow a lot of like, because I follow a lot of sports. So I would see what these athletes would wear, whether it's in the NBA or NFL or baseball and I'll be all that stuff. NHL. <clears throat> I'd watch what they wear tunnel. And I'm like, okay, I see that. I can't, I can't offer anything like that because we're limited. Like brands will come and say, you're going to sell this sweater, right? Or yeah. heroes would go buy your blacks, your blues, your grays because they sell lots of, and that's what, at that point, I'm like, you know, it's time for me to leave. But I never, when I left, I never left initially with the intention of going into business for myself right away. I had left to help out with my dad because he was into merchant processing. So I did this transition where I went into almost like accounting and finance, working with my dad. I'll tell you that lasted about six months. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> I'm going to do this. So, what, what, what was it about it that you didn't enjoy? Was it just the uh, the nature of the business or challenges yeah, it was, working it was with the nature of the business? Like I'm like, I, although like I'm not very, I mean, I would, I would say um, people look at me as a little bit more on the quieter side, but I'm outgoing when, when, you know, like I, I'd, I'd like to sit down talk to people, get to know people and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. here you are from spending 15 years of dealing with clients and customers and all that stuff. And believe it or not, enjoying solving these problems or issues that we're dealing with and mm-hmm. finding solutions to it, to just sitting on a desk and just looking at receipts and papers all day and all these numbers. And then I went from wearing a suit every day to wearing track suits. And then when I tried to change that, my dad was like, no, you're not doing that because now you're wearing a, a full-on suit and here I am in my shorts and jeans and <laughs> now people are going to be like, who is this guy? Is he, who's the boss here? Which one is the boss, right? So, yep. and I just got tired of wearing like track suits. I went through this phase where I was just like buying a lot of sneakers and Jordans and all that. Yep. But at the end of the day, I'm like, that's not it. So I, I would start wearing, I'd start dressing up and sitting in an office by myself. Like I, I did not need to dress up, you know, but to me it was, Dressing up, it just, it, it, in the beginning of the day, it's almost like it, it sets the mood for you, sets the day for you, tells you what kind of day you're about to have, you know? So, um, absolutely. I, I'm in for a rough day based on my attire. Sure. <laughs> but, uh... Don, Don Cherry would be a big adherent to that mindset. Uh, you know, Don Cherry was famous for being a coach of the Boston Bruins and uh, he, he was always on hockey night in Canada and intermissions and he's always dressed impeccably and he always encouraged the young hockey players to dress up to attend to their to their work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Don Cherry used to buy his fabrics from um, Fabricland. Yeah, right. that's right. Some yeah. of them were curtain fabrics, if I'm not mistaken. Then he used exactly. to turn them into. Uh, oh, into I, I, I think I think he got them from the Carol Burnett uh, uh, backstage <laughs> wardrobe <laughs> set. <clears throat> any any curtains that were hanging in the in California, he would uh, bring them in and make suits out of them. 
somehow made them look sharp. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Dad, do you want to uh, take over? Well, Seem, let's uh, talk a bit more about uh, what led you to starting your own business. Obviously, I met you when you were at Harry Rosen. Uh, but what motivated you to leave the the top men's fashion store to start your own business? It was it was really um, I wanted to get more involved with athletes, influencers, and then again, like I'm I'm really like the NBA and basketball is a big part of my life, right? So I was trying to find a way to reach out, and then we'd I would reach out we'd get these guys to come in. Like I, I got a few guys that would come into heroes and, and uh, they just look around and like, ah, you know, there's nothing really like that's, that's different. Right. Even because heroes and does like the custom suits as well. They do the bespoke, they do the made to measure, but you get to select books that you would want to carry. Right. So for example, mm-hmm. you're reaching out to a mill like Xenia, you say, show me the books that you have. Xenia has some very fancy fabrics but they also have your blues, your blacks, your grays, which mm-hmm. I guess is something that would work for them and they would sell lots for, which I understand, right? So they're, they're trying to, obviously, rather than have sit stuff that's just going to sit there, they want to sell their merchandise. So their buying was more so your blacks, your blues, your grays. And and I was really like, okay, I, I really want to start dressing athletes. You know, I really want to get into that, become more of a, a designer and a fashion designer rather than just you know, a salesperson. And while working at Hey Rosen, I feel like I enjoyed a lot of being able to offer an experience. It was it was very experience oriented for me. It was more so more than like somebody just walking in and saying, hey, let me just sell them something because I'm going to get commission out of it. So I made sure they they enjoyed that. So then I thought of the end idea and I'm like, you know, like that that's exactly what I feel like I want to do. Number one, I want to go be thinking outside of the box, create stuff myself, you know, design different, like whether picking out different patterns, picking out a suit like this, you know, I've, I've done suits that are half blue, half orange, for example, for some guys that, you know, want to, want to get fancy with it. And that I was limited at Hey Rosen. To be are right. these basketball players or NFL players or basketball players? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> half no. orange and half blue. blue yeah. Is that, yeah. Yeah. Is Syracuse. That, is that a, that's that Syracuse, Syracuse colors, Dad. Oh, on the Knicks. Syracuse colors, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you would know more than I would. Well, okay. So I, I, hold what... on, hold on one second, Dad. I just got to ask yeah. Asim one question here. You keep talking about you know dealing with the athletes. Do you get as bothered as I do with Asim when you see a team redesign their uniforms, and it looks like something that was designed by somebody who had one hundred percent who was lacking in in the insight. In the yep. ability to actually see. I'm like, what happened? What happened? Like, the Utah Jazz. Not yeah, to name exactly, names. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry. It, it bothers me. I, I really hate the new mm-hmm. in-season tournament. I hate their their courts that are I heard, dark. I don't know who came up with that idea. It's the worst idea I, I think I've ever seen. It's horrendous. The Utah Jazz. I'm going to pick on them for a little bit here because why not? Carl Malone's long gone. He's not going to come after me. So, oh, you know, the their purple courts with their purple jerseys uh, it does not make for a very visually appealing backdrop when you're watching it on tv i can't imagine it's any better in person but god almighty is it ever horrendous i agree with you 100 percent. even like to be honest with you i'm gonna go even go out to toronto raptors yeah is these gold jerseys and then i look at the court that they're about to play on and it's golden i'm like you guys are blending in with because it's like a dark charcoal gray and they've got the reflection from all the advertising that's around the rink or around the uh the court i should say 
reflecting onto the dark court and it, it's a hot mess. I hate the stupid NBA tournament. Anyway, well, yeah. well, well, Bill, Bill, I remember the days when uh, there was no advertising, the court was plain, <laughs> and there was just a, a light from high up above shining down, and everyone was quiet. There was no music, and people took the game seriously. And right, a thick cloud of smoke from all the smokers <laughs> inside. That's right, and stale popcorn and sticky coke. And Red yeah. sat on the sidelines and smoked a stogie while he exactly, up and exactly, down the court. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> the, 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 the good old right, days. Sure. Okay. Anyway, uh, we digress. Uh, Wasim, what did you do to prepare yourself for the journey into entrepreneurship? That's not an easy transition going from a from a salaried position into business ownership. And what? How did you prepare yourself? What did you do? I think, first of all, it was a lot uh, men- mentally. I had to prepare mentally because I was like to myself, I'm like, I understand how speaking to different entrepreneurs and owners and business owners, it was like for the first two, three years, uh, you need to understand like it's it's about the business, right? And really, you're probably not going to get a salary. So, um, and I was ready to, and I was also, I had to prepare myself, I think, mentally for some, I would say, there's going to be there's going to be bumps there's going to be failures and it was more so once it happens i can't just be like i i didn't i shouldn't have done this and i and it it is true like once i started it i hit like so many speed bumps in the beginning but not once did i say i should have stayed at hair rosen right you know i never i never thought of it as oh man i should have stayed at hair rosen and and even like obviously having a family and and stuff like that and kids and you're like okay I gotta provide for my kids luckily like obviously with the business that I was helping out with my dad it was generating some income but eventually like that stopped as well because the timing of starting my my brand it was like 2000 I would say September 2019 right mm-hmm. so yeah, and it was so 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 was, was this... something that happened shortly thereafter. I don't remember. I, for, I forgot what it was. Something, something small. That <laughs> well, there, yeah, yeah. Well, what time of COVID now? So, so, <clears throat> so you you had mental preparation. Did you have financial preparation? Had you saved up money? Well, yeah, yeah. I had some. I have financial preparation, which is again why I was like I'm comfortable enough to be able to go through with this and know that I do not need to rely on income from my business, from this business. Okay. Right? And uh, so let me build what, this business right now. What was, was your spouse uh, able to uh, help out uh, financially yeah. to provide stability? Yeah. Yeah. So she yeah, was so. able to help out in that sense as how, well. How, how, what was she like in terms of your transition? Was she a hundred percent behind you or was she waffling or what was, what was her mindset? Be careful. with seems she might listen to this. <laughs> uh no i I would say like at in in the beginning of it it was it was difficult it was uh trying to get her obviously to understand because i was i was helping out my dad's business and trying to do this at the same time right so number one time i was just like you had obviously no time to to be at home and uh but financially she was like okay what do you need help with you know i'm gonna help you even like hitting whether it was speed bumps with clients and stuff like that, she she was jumping in to help. But I would say financially, again, it was difficult where she's like, yeah, go ahead. I want you to do whatever you can. But at the same time, there was, it was like, okay, but you're like, there's no time at home at this point, right? Obviously it's a little bit difficult at that time, 
um but was able to you know the first the first year of it was just like probably the most the most difficult i and i speak from experience that you need to have uh, a supportive spouse whenever you're uh, getting involved in uh, in in business ownership or being an entrepreneur because it is not a smooth ride and without uh, someone to support you when i say someone i mean your spouse to support you uh, it's uh, it's almost impossible to to uh, to move forward. A different story if you're single and you're doing this, but when you're married, when you have a young family, and and then you do also get the commentaries, like you said, like uh, you know, no work life balance here. You're not at home at all. Uh, yeah, that that's the it, that's the grounding mechanism that spouses have to remind you that it, it's not just about the business. It's also about the family. Were there any specific qualifications you had to attain to help give you an understanding of how garments are put together and how they're supposed to be tailored? Yeah, so working again, working at, uh, at Harry Rosen's, it was like, so we had to pass this closemanship, right? So it was more so how do you put on a garment on a gentleman? You know, it's, um, what are you supposed to do to help them relax? Because the thing is, is with, with men is once you go to put on a suit, obviously, immediately, it's a natural thing. You are, you immediately stand up and go like this, right? Once the jacket comes on, and then you have to be able to get the, the 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 client to you know relax. You know, I need you to be standing in your normal stance rather than like your chest out or shoulders back or anything like that, right? So it was all those little things that they taught us. They to be able at tip top. I never knew any of that stuff, right? So I'm passing this closemanship, but I continue to. I would reach out to the the mate measure who was a specialist that was there and that would do this bespoke at Hey Rosen. And he was there for about 30 years. I would still reach out to him and ask him for like one-on-one trainings or be able to go to his, you know, like just to learn like the little things as to why is this happening on a garment? Why is this happening on a suit? Why does the chest come out? Why does this come out? Right. Where again, that that's when I noticed, I was like, I was more serious about it rather than just making a, a sale, a quick sale and, um mm-hmm. so it was really never to me about just selling it it was like i actually wanted to to understand the garment to understand the fabric and it was so being able to pass that and continuously just learn about different fabrics and you know it would the the, the first thing i think he told me he said like there's you can pick out three four different fabrics that are the same size but not, they're all they're not all going to fit the same right so then I started to get into fabrics and understanding, okay, the reason why is this fabric just like this. It, it's more structured. Did, did, did you did you have to go to Italy or someplace to learn about fabrics? No, I did all, the, uh, but I do go online and, and I check, for example, so there's a mill called Lorpiana. So I would go there to Zenia to find out more about their fabrics and study their fabrics, right? And whenever they send us a book, like once you open it, it'll tell you exactly what the fabric is, how it was grown, how it was weaved, and all those uh, all those little details. But a big goal of mine is hopefully I'm hoping March of next year is to visit Italy. We have a manufacturer in Portugal because obviously Italy is is the place to go to, and and ninety percent of the fabrics we have are from Italy. And uh, so sorry, Wasim, I'm just going to ask you quickly um, in terms of like the you mentioned like the weave and and the way it was grown and such does that impact like the weave itself i assume would impact the way it drapes or falls on the body is that correct correct Correct. yes yeah so are certain types of weaves uh, like what are you looking for like are you looking for like give it give us an example of what a different type of weave would do in terms of being you know more structured more stiff more natural 
So, so you're looking for example, just even like the weight of the fabric, right? So, if you're looking for example, uh, like a a houndstooth fabric compared to something that's made out of wool and linen, right? Mm -hmm. Um, even even you have different wools that are some of them are woven a little bit more tighter and mm -hmm. some are a little bit more looser, right? So, some of them they feel like they have some linen in them, but it's not; it's 100% wool. And then you have ones that are that that are weaved a little bit more closer, and the fabric is more i would say more so like a super 150 where it's a lot it feels luxurious it feels like silk yeah those are the fabrics that for example they can't handle beating right so right. it's it's it, i wouldn't recommend it for somebody who's going to say hey i need to wear a suit five times a day or five right. times a week sorry right i'm yeah. wearing it every single day of the week that's not what i would recommend so you know? so so what do you recommend to james bond who's uh, having fights and jumping off helicopters Kevlar. <laughs> you let me know when you've made your first Kevlar suit with you, and I want to meet that person. Kevlar suits, yeah, exactly. Oh, he's making it for me, isn't he? John Wick, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have special uh, buttons that, that deflect bullets, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so we'll see what, what do you... Uh, how do you differentiate, uh, differentiate your, yourself from your competition in terms of marketing? I rely... Um, even at even at like when I started Cloth Talk, it, when uh, when that first started, we never really did any marketing. It was more so, it was more more so word of mouth because of the experience that we were offering. We knew it was like uh, in in a way like incomparable. Like you know, like we're we're looking at other clients that we're still going to hear. There's there's a tons of other menswear that are doing custom and bespoke and made to measure here in Toronto, but we would do things where okay, we'll tell you here's two hours. You know, the, the appointment's going to be two hours, two and a half hours. So give yourself that time. And during the first maybe half an hour to 45 minutes, it's getting to know the client. But right now, marketing wise, I would say for me, it was word of mouth, giving giving that experience to a client. But I also rely now on like influencers, athletes to kind of help get the brand out there. Right. So I kind of. So you're, you're, you're connected to a few uh, NBA players. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and we don't want to mention anything to for uh, so as not to reveal their yes. identity. Yeah. Okay. But Wasim, in terms of you know reaching out to those NBA players, how did you get connected to them to them to begin with? How did you convince them to uh, to give you a chance and to uh, to give you an opportunity to design custom pieces for them? It was so obviously being in the community for since I was young and playing in different leagues. I was, I mean, I have the connections and the network that I, that I grew at that time. So a few of them became, one of them is actually an MBA agent. And um, I would like, before even anything like that, I would like reach out to him. We, we kept in touch and he's kind of like, would see what, I, how I would dress. And, and um, eventually once he got into, into the game of like basketball, I, even for me, like college players or anything like that, like I try to get them like at, at the younger age rather than they're, you know, like halfway or, it really is almost like scouting too, right? So it's yeah. like, I see Get them all young. he has a potential. I know he's going to make it, you know, whether if, even if he's still in college. So helping out these guys in college, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to make you a suit. And it was, it's a suit that I'm covering. I'm paying for it. All I need you is I need you to put this on your shoulders and tell me exactly how you feel, you know? Yeah. So that's yeah. how marketing was rather than spending the money on blowing up Facebook ads, throwing out here, there, you know? putting up bill, uh, billboards i'm like let me take that money and use it towards making these garments although they're expensive they're not really cheap 
but I think they understood that because I wouldn't mention it. I say, listen, if I were to sell you this, this is what it's going to cost. This is a $2,500 suit, a $3,000 suit, and you're not going to pay for it. I want you to wear it. And then you actually genuinely, if it's something that you're comfortable with, you like it, you enjoy it, you know, I know they're going to come back and it's happened, you know, so uh, that that's my marketing so, so uh, your 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 book is going to be called Suit Dog as opposed to Shoe Dog as in the yeah. founder of Nike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I think that's such a an ingenious and innovative approach because a lot of people would go the traditional route of you know just trying to ground and pound when it came to uh, to getting the brand out there, letting people see it and see it in multiple different places to go out there and and establish and really because what we're all ultimately trying to do whatever business you're in is you're trying to custom tailor not to uh, excuse the pun there on the uh on the sartorial side but yeah. you're trying to custom tailor your marketing so it's specific to your client and to be able to get that intimate experience where you custom tailor a garment specifically for them to fit them perfectly a high quality suit i, I think that's going to leave such a remarkable impression on the person especially because you're not you're not charging them for that piece of garment you're you're giving it to them as a as a free sample of what your services can provide. And then I'll, I'll, I assume most of the time they're going to be pretty satisfied with that because who's not going to love a brand new custom tailored piece of clothing for them and then come back to you. And as you've told me, you know, it, it leads to, you know, we'll make suits for them. For some people, it's we'll design their entire wardrobe for them. You know, every season, like we'll we'll build out a, a custom wardrobe each year. And it obviously creates a much more fruitful relationship, and I think that's a that's a remarkable way to uh, to go out and and differentiate yourself from others. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, sorry, go ahead. I said and that was the approach exactly. Yeah. Well, seem. Let's focus in a little bit more on what you focus on at Noadonis. How does it differ from other clothing retailers, including your old business at Cloth Talk? So with Clothock, initially, like we started out as uh, it was just made to measure and doing bespoke and doing custom suits. I have two partners there as well. And uh, we obviously with COVID and all that stuff that happened, they ended up leaving, uh, working at Hey Rosen as well, and then eventually came and joined. But it turned it with, with made to measure and custom. It's also it's a little bit difficult to get quantity sales, right? It's more right. so. Like, you know, you're, you're going to get the gentleman who's going to be like, okay, I need a suit. And and men really don't plan like months in advance for something, you know, they'll come and be like, Hey, I'm getting married next week. I need a suit. <laughs> I'm like, you better be kidding me type of thing. So yeah, um, with that happening and then the, 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 the guys jumping on board it, and we ended up having to purchase some stuff, different brands and selling other brands, selling Hugo Boss, selling Diesel. So it became... A retail store rather right. than the vision was we're gonna we're gonna start designing our own stuff so it's gonna be suits like this we're gonna pick up fabrics we're gonna do all this stuff and it's just gonna be towards athletes influencers and and celebrities and all that so when we started carrying brands for me i started to i'm like okay this this was not my vision uh i feel like i'm almost in a place where i'm back to harry rosen now i'm just here selling other brands right and it's mm -hmm. it's like a, like we, we do need to do that, you know, to, to make sales, to, to survive and to, to keep going and to stay open, obviously, during COVID as well, to be able to, because you can't just, we can't live off three partners. We can't live off selling four suits a month or yeah. five suits a month, right? So we started to carry those products and we did well. We we're doing good. But again, with me, it was 
I, I said, rather than continue to do this, like I did that at Hair Rosen where I was like for five years, I'm like, rather than continue to do this for another three, four years, let me just, from now, I'll tell them it was a great journey. I obviously learned a lot and I've, I've started this already. I knew how, I know how to start it now. I think I'm better now at starting it again. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to do it again. And, uh, but this time it's just a sole focus on just doing everything custom, e even like building my own brand where I'll pick out a fabric like this and I'll mm -hmm. do a detail to it that you'll be like, okay, this is no Adonis. You know, this yeah. is, is designed by Wasim, styled by Wasim because he did something to it. Like I could look at a Tom Ford suit and be like, I know that's Tom Ford. I could look at an Armani suit and be like, I know that's Armani. So that's, that's where the vision went. And I'm like, and um, I also keeping the experience as well. Right. So I don't know if I mentioned this to you, like the store that I want to open is, is going to become more of like a, it's like almost like a gentleman's lounge. Mm -hmm. um, not to give away too much but it was it was more so an experience where you come in and you're you're gonna find yourself probably playing billiards while you're trying to buy a suit or having a drink smoking a cigar all that is is part of the experience all that is ties into you come in there i don't want you to come in to be like i have half an hour for you no it's i need two three hours because you're gonna you're gonna find yourself spending more time there and be like i like you know it's something that you didn't expect is yeah. there gonna be a big screen and espresso Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, see, my, my wife doesn't listen to this podcast, so I can't wait to come and spend lots of time at your store. <laughs> hours and hours and hours and abscond I, with all of my duties. I promise. Home. I have I had a client after I left. He's like, where are we going to hang out now? I'm like, hang out. He would come and spend four hours there, have an espresso, go outside, have a, have a cigar, come back in, you know? So just to keep that and, uh, but also focus on, obviously, like I rely on, my clients a lot you know so i mean thanks uh to you guys for always always supporting and those are like i think the pillars that keep me going and rather than while i continue to try to reach out to these celebrities and athletes and stuff like that so yeah. absolutely we're, we're happy to do it and we want to see you uh, have continued success with seeing that's something that that gives me personally a lot of uh, a lot of joy and a lot of pride and i know it does for my dad as well now, if you were to build somebody's wardrobe from scratch, let's say a, a young working professional, like when you and I first met, what are some of the essentials that you would recommend for that individual to have in their in their wardrobe? And obviously, a, a young working professional is not going to have a ton of money, but what are some some of the essential pieces you would recommend or that you think go a long way in terms of giving somebody the versatility to be able to not only go to work and dress well, but also, you know, go out casually, socially? and still fit in and, and stand out in a in a good way not in a bad way he's wearing jeans that are falling down to his ankle kind of way i would yeah <laughs> i would start off i would say initially but back then it was more so hey you need to get yourself a navy suit but i would turn it around now so it's, i would go more so towards getting a charcoal any uh anything in between like the grays a lighter gray or charcoal and then doing a sport jacket pant combination Right. right. So a sport jacket that you're going to be able to wear with cotton pants, you're also going to be able to wear it. So you got to be very, you got to be, um, I would say, selective. strategic. Yeah. In terms of the fabric that you're picking out. Right. Because you don't want to pick out a fabric of for a sport jacket. That's a suit fabric because right. you're not going to be able to wear with jeans. You're not going to. Right. So it's picking out a fabric that you're going to be able to wear with dress pants. You're mm -hmm. going to be able to wear with jeans, cotton pants. Right. So I would go more so. Let's pick out a, a a charcoal gray fabric with maybe a little bit of a pattern. It doesn't have to necessarily be solid. Mm -hmm. And then you can mix it up with the shirt. I can tell you how many times you wear a different shirt and you make the suit look different. Yeah. 
and then picking out a, a navy a navy jacket a navy sport jacket matching it with some pants a few different shirts as well light pink light blue white mm-hmm. and you're good to go you right know, um, i know there's a lot of people who watch the steve harvey reel that that uh, went out where he says you buy i think five suits black blue gray um cream and then he's like you just mix the pants and you i, I don't recommend it it's a, it's a, a cream suit's a bold choice yeah it a is cream yeah. suit is if you live in oh. atlanta yes yeah <laughs> not but, in the northeast yeah exactly. and, and you can't and you don't have our coloring because i'm not sure that uh i would necessarily look good in a, a cream suit I, I i lack a the sufficient sunlight sun exposure here to be able to pull that off but maybe after uh, we get back from uh, aruba I, I anyway think, i think that's the artificial lighting in your room i don't think that's your real color okay either way i'm looking pretty pale uh-huh. these days um, so I, I think that's great advice with seeing, like you said, uh, a couple blazers, a suit, you know, a, a couple nice pairs of, uh, either cotton or, or jeans when it comes to, uh, what differentiates a suit fabric from a, a bla- uh, what you would consider like a sport jacket, uh, fabric. Yep. I understand, you know, I know what I'm looking for cause I've done it a lot of times, but for people who might not be as familiar with that process, what should they be looking for? What differentiates a suit fabric from something that's more of like a sport coat f- kind of fabric? So like we discussed earlier, so it's more so the weave. So you're looking at, for example, you go, you get a, you're buying a, a suit fabric that's, let's just say super 120s or super 130s, right? So the finish on it, it's, it's more of a, a solid, it has this a bit of a sheen to it. So that one, it's more so that's a solid suit that's only going to be wearing with dress pants. Um, when you're right. looking at the sport jacket, the weave of it is a little bit more different. It's still 100% wool. It could be considered 120s, 130s, right? So some of them, they'll have like a blend of, of um, let's just say, cashmere in it or a blend of silk or a blend of cotton. The jackets are a little bit more, I mean, you get your cottons, 10% cotton in a, in a, in a wool blazer that you can already feel the difference, right? And now these days they're doing like a lot of the fabrics where it's a little bit more on the stretchier side. Right. So that's oh, well, Sam, can you, can you, can you clarify the term you, you're using super 120? What, what, what is a, a what maximum. is a 120 and what is a super 120 and what, what's all that jargon mean? So this all started uh, with our Italian friends. They go from, so they put an S in front of, for example, super 100s. Before, like the highest you'd probably reach, I think back in the day was like a super 130. So that the higher the count of like, or as you go up 130, 140, 150, it's fine. The finer the fabric, the finer the weave, right? So fabrics are woven like this, for example, but it becomes more of the fiber of the fabric is longer. And once it becomes longer, it becomes finer. So when they're going and they're taking out all this, the wool from the sheep and, and all that stuff, and you got the Angora goats and stuff like that. So if you go towards let's just say a, um, a super 170. We got fabrics that are mohair. You got fabrics that are wool, but they're Angora goat. They come out from specific countries, different countries, right? Um, you're not going to find them all in, for example, let's say Italy. So they have farms out in different parts of the world that are able to breed these animals or keep these animals and and keep the, the wool healthy, right? So when they, when they cut it or when they shave them, so it goes like this. It's, supposed to, it's called warp and weft. But the fibers also, they get, as you go higher, so super 160s and 170s, the fiber is much longer. 
mm-hmm. rather than it being a little bit more shorter and then it's it's closer to each other. So when it's so is, softer, sorry, so, sorry to interrupt. So so the number it relates to the length of the fiber or is it the number of fibers per square inch? It's the number of fibers per square inch. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 they do do it a little bit more on the longer side because it just that that's the way where you're gonna get it to be a little bit more delicate, softer, luxurious. Right. Okay. So Wasim, can right you, you yes, go sorry, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I would say the highest right now you're looking at like super 170s. Okay. That's Which, your ultimate like cream of the crop. Yeah, you're never- you're gonna have to come up with a different name than super. You're gonna have to call it Sutsos 180s. What do you think? <laughs> Got you. Yeah, all <laughs> right, all right. So, so Wasim, explain uh for us uh the difference between a made-to-measure and a bespoke suit. So made to measure, it is what you're getting is shoulders is already cut. So when we're doing made-to-measure garments, so I'm getting you to try on, I'm getting you to try on a pattern that's already cut with specs that are already given and then i'm just altering you know i'm just going ahead and i'm calling my tailor and saying all right so we're going to use these specs for this suit um which is again already cut and i'm just going to get you to take in the chest i'm going to make you do these minor adjustments right when you're getting a bespoke suit if you hear everybody uses this this word bespoke very loosely i believe Mm -hmm. Uh, there's no way you can ever go get a bespoke suit and it and it shows up and it's ready for you to put on your shoulders um, that you're going to go through three different fittings. So you got the first one where you're going to come in. All you got to, I would say, all you got to look at and and be mindful of is looking at the sleeve length and the jacket length. And you're comfortable with that. Everything else, the tailor is going to be able to tell you the back. So it's you're going to it's going to come unfinished. You're going to see the canvas on the inside. Mm-hmm. And then you're gonna see the second fitting to make sure it's sitting flat on your chest. So there's a lot of hand details as well. There's a lot of handwork. And when you're getting a um, a bespoke suit, it's literally a garment that's shaped for your body and your body only, right? right? So instead of getting, for example, like I said, made to measure, I'll put a size 42. There's a 42 that I'll put on you. I could put it on somebody else. Tons of people that'll put the 42 on and I'll be like, mm-hmm. all right, just make this adjustment here and there. Mm-hmm. A bespoke suit is everything is done from scratch. It's also the canvas that's being it's it's a it's double layers for the canvas that's being used as well. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So the 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 horse hair that's being used inside it's a double layer, and you cannot you can never go be like, I want a bespoke suit that's half canvas. It's always fully cam full canvas. Okay. And is that is the additional canvas in order to provide that extra molding, if you will, to custom fit your body and your uh, your build type? Exactly. Yes. So that's, that's probably the most important part of, of a suit is the canvas on the inside. Obviously you got the fabric and then the craftsmanship that's being, you got to find a good tailor to put it together. Right. Right. But the canvas is the most important because as you get to wear that, it, it starts to shape to your body. Right. Right. So that's, it's a few layers that could go between the top and, and the, and the lining or the fabric on the inside. Mm Mm-hmm made from horse hair um the best canvas i would say is usually like it's it's italian sun-dried canvas okay so with that is after you cut it 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 gets its shrink already so when you put it inside a suit it's not gonna when you're stitching it it's still gonna sit nice and flat it's gonna drape well and you're probably the chances of you having to dry clean it are like once a year right right and i would even recommend like even when you have to go dry clean it if it's something that you can take back to your tailor 
bring it back to the tailor because a suit takes about four hours to get pressed, right? For it to, right. especially a bespoke suit, you need four hours of pressing for it to, to, to mm -hmm. go back to how it looked before. So, you know, you take it to a dry cleaner, it's going to be a quick thing, machine, boom. And then there's just, especially if you're spending that kind of money for a bespoke suit. Well, well seeing yeah. from a, from, from a practical perspective, where are you finding these tailors? Like my understanding is, this is a uh, a rare art form now, and there aren't that many people available, especially here in Canada. Or am I wrong about that? That that is that is right. Actually, there used to be there used to be a lot of tailors, but now it's kind of like, especially when you're working with luxurious fabrics like this and and expensive suits. So, like for me, I tried. We tried to we ordered a different suits from different places to find out the the the, the craftsmanship and and how how well it's put together. You know, so. The construction of it um here the we get our suits done and well i got our suits done here in canada and we do portugal as well so obviously reached out to a few different manufacturers to see their craftsmanship their tailors how they work with stuff and then here the tailors that we have here italian so they're they all come from italy or are they trained here or i would say they're the head head tailor comes from italy barely speaks i think he doesn't speak a, a a lot of english as well but obviously everybody that works with him you know they they have these expectations that they need to set right so the but the, the bar is set so high so when i'm looking at a garment that is made with them compared to when it's made for example in portugal or any other place you can you can tell just by from how it drapes and how it hangs where it's made i can tell you for sure right so yeah, right. we're just very, 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 we have to be very selective with the tailors that we work with to make sure it's expensive fabrics. Like I'm telling you, it's some of these fabrics you're looking at a meter cost like $350 Canadian, right? And that's just, yeah. Holy. So that, and, and for every client, for example, you're looking at, you need about four yards. So right. just the fabric itself is expensive fabric. So you got to make sure that it's being done by the best tailors. For sure, for sure. Dad, do you want to uh, take back over then and uh, guide us through uh, retail trends and uh, and fashion trends? Uh, sure. Well, I've been uh, in the investment business since 1986, and uh, my first introduction to high fashion suits was when I started my career. And my wife is Italian, so standard procedure. She took me to an Italian clothier and. We, we bought a suit for what I thought was uh, a, a, a king's ransom in terms of the price back in 1986, uh, when you could buy a suit for a hundred bucks or 200 bucks. And we spent $600 on, on my first suit. And I, 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 to this day, I was shaking my head in disbelief that I spent that kind of money back then when I didn't have any, any money to spend. But I've noticed over the course of time that fashion trends have been evolving Double-breasted suits were really big in the late '80s and into the '90s. Then you had the the whole uh, thing with the, uh, the what do they call those straps that hold up your pants? Uh, uh, suspenders. suspenders. Thank you. Yeah, suspenders. Uh, what what has been emerging um, uh, in the in the recent past in terms of fashion in the area of suits? Personally, for me, I follow. I go back. I follow a lot. Of, um, of what's happening in Europe, right? So even the guys that I follow, I would say on social media, it's all these guys are from, I would say 80 to 90% of them are from Italy. So I always see what they're, what, what's happening there and with us, it eventually happens a year later. Right now we're, 
you got the double breasted is back. Suits are not as close to the body as they used to be, right? So you're getting a little bit more on the looser side, a little bit more comfortable. But the pants not so narrow at the bottom. You do you you still get that the younger generation says, "Oh, I want my pants to be super narrow and no socks, and I want to show six inches on my ankle." And it's like that that's that's gone, you know. So and I even thank I, goodness. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna do that. If you want to do that, please go somewhere else because you're not gonna go out there and be like, "Oh, we'll see him dress me," you know? Yeah. Um, so you don't want to put your your name on that. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna do it. Uh, well, you know what the worst was with him at the. Uh, so we're we're big golf fans, but at the uh, the Ryder Cup this year, the U.S. team, they did like a a team picture, and they're all golfers, so they're all out there most of the time in shorts, and so they've all got really bad like sock tans on their. <laughs> on their ankles but they've all got these really short suits it's all you see on them is six inches of sock tans because you can see like halfway up is exactly yeah. where their socks cut off and so you yeah. can see where they've been uh, playing all day long yeah yeah so Anyways. a little relaxed relax fit is back is coming back to the lower breasted softer shoulder is big right now soft shoulder and having like the suit where it's it's uh half lined right so i know you love that john you know you love having no uh, no structure to the, the the jackets, but that's what's in is um, having unstructured jackets, softer shoulder, even if it's like a, a formal suit. Right. A lot of the fabrics, a lot of the suits that I do, I keep like not a shoulder pad. You're not getting a, a shoulder pad like it used to be, you know? Well, I, um, I find that perplexing and I'm older, obviously, and uh, I, I'm a more traditionalist in, in that respect, but I, I've noticed in the last decade or so this the emergen, emergence of what we call perhaps fast or disposable fashion coming at the expense of many middle or upper middle class retailers like Nordstrom and Taylor, black and white, et cetera, where, you know, they're, they're selling more upscale things, but now the, 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 the cheap stuff seems to be taking over. What, what's your views on that? Well, I think, first of all, I think, I mean, obviously um, I look at it as like the economy as well. Right. So I don't know. It just seems like you, you don't have like that, that mid-level salary. It seems like it's either, everybody's out there trying to get a bank for their buck or you got the clients like I, we still had clients like during COVID that were coming and spending four or $5,000 for a suit that, that that was no problem. But I think economy wise, I know it's, it's in the States, but it's, it's here as well. And for example, I'll just give you like, you got Zara and H and M, right. They're casual wear. They really follow what's, what's happening in Europe. Right. So you're getting mm -hmm. clients that are coming in and saying or customers that would come and be like, hey, you know what? I'm about to buy. Let me buy these five black T-shirts. I'm going to wear it twice and I'm going to toss it out. But it's costing yeah. me seven and eight dollars rather than me going to buy a forty five dollar T-shirt that I need. If I even if I need three or four of them, it's obviously it's just you're you're going to be paying more. So it would. If the fashion, even when I look at Nordstrom, Nordstrom wasn't really they didn't have a selection. Right. When I would walk into a Nordstrom in the States compared to here, mm -hmm. Canada is just so like behind. With why is that? Why, why, why is, is the selection so limited here versus the U.S.? I, I, I think it's, um, I think like you got giants, like for example, heroes and, and we felt it too, because when we were buying for, for cloth talk, we were trying to do stuff that's outside of the box different, but it wasn't selling 
you know, so I think they kind of like set the set the standards that, hey, you're going to get your blacks, your blues and your grays and you're going to do well with it. You know, so, yes, we're going to continue to do well with it. But then you got you got, for example, Red Cross was Holt Renfrew. Holt Renfrew is is different. Their selection is what you would wear, what you would get in the States. They're the only ones that I would walk into. I'd be like, okay, if I'm trying to find something that I seen a certain person wearing, I know I could find it on Holtz compared to this giant at Hair Rosen who has set the bar where it's like, you're gonna get, you're gonna come in there for your they tried, they really tried to to step out of it and it didn't work. Went down. And whether it's because maybe again, like it's they just got used to. The, the 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 average customer just got used to coming in and wearing your blues your blacks your grays and your solid colors and now they just can't get out of it right so yeah but i think the customer expectations are, are something that are very slow to change they are you yeah. know if if you like you said you go to a certain store expecting certain items when those items are no longer there it can be very damaging to the store because you're then going to take your business elsewhere if you're if that's what you came there looking for yeah, so somebody Sorry, like just got out of it, and then they had to come back. You know, they right. tried to go street, and they tried to go younger. They tried to go millennial, but they're like, okay. our but main the- customer, our main client is is somebody who's in their, I would say, forties and up, right? So yeah, we're gonna leave. People have better cash flow. Exactly. Yeah. The the millennials look at it and they they say, oh, I I know Harry Rosen's expensive, and so therefore I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna bother going there to shop because they they know that the price points are higher, and so you're right, they kind of uh, they kind of miss their their target demographic. I I think too of even uh, the evolution of some of the department stores here in Canada, and I think it's actually true in the United States as well. Uh, the Bay here used to have not great selection, but they had some options. They had some decent brands that they used to carry, and I find that is becoming less and less the case the older that i've gotten i remember being younger and going there and finding some decent stuff and and now i wouldn't even bother going there if i'm looking for clothing i'm not going to the bay uh in the united states it was the same thing with macy's macy's used to have some decent selection it was never the top end brands it was never the the top of the line but they had some decent options where you could go in there and say oh there's a uh, you know, middle class brand that you know provides decent quality at a reasonable price i can go in there and i can buy that and i find whenever i'm in the states now that that is becoming fewer and far between and so it it is a a challenge and a frustration for those people who are in that kind of middle class demographic to try and find some some clothing options that fit them i know my wife has a has a big issue with it in terms of uh, finding stuff from the uh, the women's side but anyway i just wanted to uh, get your uh, your viewpoint with him do you think that this trend is something that's likely to persist over an extended period of time or do you think we're ever going to go back to a period where we have a uh, a true kind of middle tier retailer that exists or retail option that exists. I think right now for the time from the way it looks, it's just going to, it's just going to stay the way it is. Yeah. Do you, see, do you think the entrance of China as a supplier is playing a, a big role in this? Oh yeah. Big, big. It's huge. It's even, even you have like brands like Hugo boss, you know, I try not to mention brands or talk them down, but when they, when they try to cut down on their costs and, but they're still selling the suit at the same price. Right, so you're sell you're still selling a suit at twelve hundred dollars, but before it was made in Italy, and now all of a sudden you're going to tell me that, hey, it's made in China, but I'm still buying it at twelve hundred dollars, and you know that you know you're cutting your your um, expenses, right? So mm-hmm. not really paying for it as much as you used to pay for it when it's made in Italy. They do have a brand now. They do have like levels. Sorry, a, a Hugo Boss yeah. where you can buy a suit that's made in Italy, but that's costing you three thousand dollars. Wow! Wow! 
Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that because that's actually yeah. something yeah. that I did want to discuss with you, okay. Asim. So are, are there major style differences between North America and Europeans? Sometimes it appears as though the Europeans push the boundaries more in fashion trends uh, in terms of fit and pattern relative to North Americans. What do you think is, is that a factual observation? It is, yeah. And, and I think it's because they come up with these, these patterns, they come up with these different fits, right? So they're like, okay, we're going to implement them immediately. They're going to, we're going to start them. But I, I could tell you, like, it's, there's still some, some stuff that I've seen that's worn in Italy. And I'm like, okay, eventually, like eventually North America, we're going to catch on to it. And it just never happens. Right. So right. like they've been wearing corduroy now, corduroy has been like back for the, like the last two, three years in, in Europe. And here it's the other day I wore a full corduroy suit and I was just like, and somebody looked at me and said, really a, a, a corduroy suit. I haven't worn court. My grandfather wears corduroy pants. I'm like, <laughs> right? so, I'm like, I get it, but I, it's just the way it fits is different. So on a, on a, on a corduroy, yes, it's a little bit more, as I'm saying, like the fashion right now is going a little bit more on the, on the relaxed side, but on a corduroy pant, I cannot wear like a, a relaxed corduroy pant, you know, it's immediately right. look like, you know, uh, it's outdated fashion or anything like that. So that's why I'll style it differently. You know, I'll style it a little bit more on the narrower side, maybe, maybe even put like a cargo pocket on it where it's closer to the body, you know, so you can tell it's more of a fashion thing rather than, but yeah, Europe is, is at least a, a season and a half ahead of us or two seasons ahead of us. Right. So they, they, I feel like they set the trend. They start it. They start to implement it immediately. And, um, it's we catch on to a few things we want a few things to stick we we kind of like pick and choose in north america what we want do, so. do, do you visit uh europe uh regularly throughout the year or or what what's so, your process well, because, of, because of covid we never had a chance to go in the last three years but now my first visit i'm hoping like i said it's going to be to portugal italy and spain i'm going to go down there i'm hoping around march right so to visit manufacturers they have these um they have these almost like it's not really a fashion show because you got brands, they come out there to show their fabrics, to show what's coming in for the season and try to sell as well. Uh, it's called Pitiomo. So they have it in Italy. They do it twice a year for every season, spring and fall. I'm hoping that, I think they're going to run it in March or if even if it's February, that I can go out there in February to show what's coming for spring, right? So they release the colors that are coming, the patterns, the fits, That that's coming in February, I believe. Okay, yeah. that's really interesting. So, Wasim, you kind of you touched on it a little bit there, but I want to get into it a, a little bit more of a discussion. It's funny. I actually wrote down Hugo Boss as one of my examples because I remember, you know, there's growing up, there was always different tiers of uh, of Hugo Boss. But my, my grandfather pointed out to me when we were shopping one time, he goes, look at some of these pieces that they had. And they were glued together, the seams instead of stitched together. And And he used to get frustrated by that because he said, you know, you're selling this in a high end retailer. Why are you selling a, a a piece of fabric that's been glued together as opposed to a properly constructed garment? And uh, it used to really bother him that they would charge that much for something like that. And not to, as you said, not to crap on Hugo Boss or anything, but I, I know other retailers like Armani has their uh, you know cheaper line as well. But uh, my question is, you know, obviously not all brands or garments are created equally. What types of finishes do you look for when you're purchasing a garment? You know, what makes a brand like Canali or Xenia? higher quality than hugo boss or brooks brothers number one like um as i mentioned before canvas it's got to be a, a canvas suit so as you're saying like the the fabrics glued to each other it's called fused right having a fused suit and design some designers started to do it 
you're paying, you're still paying a premium. Like it's not cheap. You're paying twelve to fourteen hundred dollars, and you're finding out that your your garment is fused, so it has no shape to it, it has no drape to it. You take it to a dry cleaner immediately. What's going to happen? The first thing after they dry clean it, it's just going to start to shine in certain areas. Um, there's going to be bubbles. It's going to wrinkle. You know, like right, like the 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 imperfections are going to start showing. Like it's all going to start to come out, right? So the first thing is having a canvas suit. They're tailored like like a, they're tailored pretty well. Like you can't come and knock their tailoring. It's just the fabric that they're picking and the canvas. So the three main things obviously of having a good suit, fabric, canvas, and the craftsmanship. So they can still craft a, the, the suit properly, but it's all about the canvas that they're using. Mm-hmm. If they're not using anything at all, then... then yeah. So are you, are you coming in and you're feeling like basically the lapel, the chest, and you're trying to see like what's the... The minute you put your hand, yeah, like I'll put my hand on the garment like this. Yeah. I could see like the okay. can- there's a canvas in it, right? If you can feel the two fabrics, right now I go like this, I feel the third layer or right. even more where it's a little bit more heavier, right? So, right. and then feeling the fabric, right? Yeah. So, uh, Xenia, for example, Xenia is, a, is, a, is one of the greatest, the, the best mills, I think, in terms of providing fabric. They mm-hmm. do, for like from what I know, I don't know if they still do it, but I know years from, like years ago, they used to supply their fabrics to Tom Ford. Tom Ford uses Xenia fabrics. I didn't know that. Yeah, Tom Ford uses Xenia fabrics. Wow. So you could just tell, like, when you're holding a Tom Ford suit, when you're feeling that fabric, it's it's a luxurious fabric, right? So yeah, I, I I have a couple Xenia suits that I I love, like the the material on them yeah. is the and I I have just a plain black one, like it's a it's a matte black. But it's got a bit of a sheen to it, and the fabric is just so soft and so delicate, and it, it just it drapes and fits really nicely. And even though it's a a more tailored fit, I never feel like I'm constrained. Like I feel like that suit moves with me, and I I really love wearing that suit. Yeah, it only gets better with time after you keep wearing it. Yeah, absolutely. So when it, when it comes to clothing, there are many different types of fabrics which can be used from traditional materials like cotton and wool, and that's going to be more the cotton is more on the casual clothing side than it is obviously on the suit side. Yeah. Um, and obviously we discussed already the varying degrees of uh, quality of wool to silk, cashmere, linen, even jersey fabrics, which are uh, something that have become more popular recently or synthetics. You know, what types of fabrics are better suited for different types of environments? So usually I would, that's the first thing is, is finding out more about like the client and what they're going to use the suit for. Right. So mm-hmm. if, if it's obviously a tuxedo, I can go a very luxurious fabric, something that once you put it on you're going to cameras because you're getting also a camera. Like it's the most photo, photographed day of your life. So the camera is really going to zoom in on this fabric, right? So you got to avoid like that wrinkle and stuff like that. So it's got to be that luxurious soft fabric. But if, if I get somebody who said, you know, I'm starting a job where I'm going to be wearing the suit two times a week, mm-hmm. three times a week. Now I'm going for fabrics that are a little bit more on the heavier side. And I would say I would keep it in between the suit, the, the, the suit sauce 120 or 130 <laughs> 180 we said come on what <laughs> 180 is a little uh out there dad i don't know that many people are going to be able to buy that one it's a little too delicate zero. come on the, too 120s, delicate. the 120s and the 130s because they're a little bit more durable heavier they can handle the beating right so even if like it, it just comes down to like little things as like even if i'm making a custom shirt right so if i say the client's going to be wearing the shirt where his hand's going to be on the table. So we'll go with a rounder edge around the cuff of the shirt because you don't want it to keep rubbing against the table if it's mm-hmm. a square, right? So little things like that, that we find make a difference. So it's selecting the fabric, obviously, 
for the equation you're going to wear for if it's for work we're going to pick out a fabric a little bit more durable heavier that can handle a beating you can wear it a few times you know it's not going to lose its shape as well it's not going to lose its sheen and stuff like that and mm -hmm. then if if you want that one suit in your closet that you want to pull out for certain occasions and when you wear it everybody's going to look at you and say wow i can see like i can see the fabric on that from from far away that looks like a luxurious fabric it looks like a you know obviously it's a well put together like for me it's mm -hmm. from having a pattern the suit's got to fit well right that's what yeah to get somebody's attention that it fits well and for for different builds you select different fabrics as well right so i can get somebody who's a little bit more on the heavier side and give them a super 170 and super 180 because that stuff is it's sensitive it, it like if they, mm -hmm. see, they go like this they can rip it right so right you guys that are bodybuilders big guys i can't give them fabric like that i gotta give them fabric that's it's all sturdier exactly yeah yeah and sturdier yeah and so we seem you know one of the things that i notice and i i always look for no matter what kind of clothing it is i always i'm like you i like to go and i like to feel it and i i when i feel a, a synthetic fabric obviously jersey material is a little bit different and jersey materials for a specific type of activity and we will we can touch upon that as well but when it comes to you know natural fibers versus synthetic fibers, because you can go to a lot of you know, department stores and get a a blazer, but if it has a lot of synthetic material in it, what is that going to do to the suit, and how does that impact the way the suit not only feels on you but how it ages? Uh, like I said, it's it. Um, I mean, in a suit like that, what's a little bit more synthetic? Once you take it to a dry cleaner, they bring it back. You're going to be like, why is it shiny? Why is this fabric like? Why did it lose its why did it lose this, like, for, even if you first bought it and it looks luxurious, why did it lose that luxury part of it? Because, mm -hmm. again, synthetic, so the wool is not going to be able to handle the heat, mm -hmm. right? Of, a, of an iron or pressing it for a few hours or pressing it for half an hour, it can't handle it, right? And then mm -hmm. immediately because of the canvas not supporting it and not helping, helping it, making it durable and last longer, you're going to get that bubbling part of it. So, yes, you're right. You can go and you're going to get a probably a blazer. You can be like, oh, 200 bucks, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. But that's that's number one. You're gonna obviously the alterations that you're gonna need for it. Um, that thing is gonna probably be have to be dry cleaned sooner than a than a made to measure suit or a custom suit that you're getting done. We always recommend. I think I've mentioned this to you, where it's like, no, you don't need to dry clean your suit. It's only if you get like a serious stain on it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you gotta even if you're taking let's say a, a hot shower and you hang it in there, mm -hmm. because that fabric is so delicate it'll be able to the steam would help it just kind of like relax you know go back to right. its shape and and that that's pretty much how i take care of my suits like i get some suits if there's no stain on it i probably would dry clean it once a year yeah. you know once, once even every two years but again like i shuffle through a lot of them mm -hmm. uh, but yeah it's it's about finding the, the right fabric that and and it's it's a suit that's going to last you a lifetime once you take care of it properly yeah and, and the jersey fabrics you know what is the the primary uh, use case for those because obviously those have become a little bit more popular in uh, in recent years. What's the what what's the primary function of those types of materials? Oh, it's it's it, I'm like all right. So you got a business trip and you're gonna hop on a plane. You're gonna be sitting there comfortably. You're gonna look like very 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 sleek, casual, mm -hmm. you know. But just up at the same time, and again, like I said, it's comfort. It's almost like you're wearing track pants. Um, but it's not something that's just going to stretch, right? So in the beginning, when they first started doing jersey, they're doing it with cotton. And with mm -hmm. cotton, it is going to stretch. It's not going to go back to its immediate shape. It's like wearing yeah, track pants or sweatpants, mm -hmm. right? Now they're doing the jersey. They, they've managed to figure out a way to do it with wool. 
So the bounce back, it goes back to its original shape. You're not going to get the bubbling on the front of the pant mm -hmm. or, or the elbow of the jacket if you go like this, right? So it keeps its shape, but it's it's very, like I said, office, you're casual, you're wearing it with a t-shirt. You know, you finish from there, you get up and you're going out after. You're gonna mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not way overdressed, you're not wearing a suit. That's something that's gonna get you from a morning meeting throughout your work and then going into the evening, still super comfortable. And I could tell you, like some of these, some of these jersey, you can even wear like you're obviously gonna wear it with sneakers and stuff like that. Like I think one time I was I was wearing a pant like that and I was able to kind of like mess around and play some basketball, you know? And I just, nice. I just put on basketball shoes and comfortable, very, very comfortable. So right. And it's for the guys that travel too, like I said. Yeah. So you're on a plane, right off the plane, you feel like you can walk into a meeting or whoever you see, you're just business casual, very smart, very sleek. Right. And again, it's comfort. And the final question I'll uh, I'll ask you, Asim, uh, just to be sensitive to time here is, you know, I, I know that you tend to source a lot of your fabrics from places like Italy, Portugal, England. Uh, I'm not sure. Do you get any from Spain as well? Uh, no? Okay. So, so those three in particular seem to be where a lot of your fabrics come from. What is it about those European countries that results in them producing higher quality fabrics? It's, um, I mean, I would tell you 90% of our fabrics are Italian fabrics through mills from Italy. And, and it's all about like, obviously the nurturing and how they take care of their, what, you look at their farms and, and how they, like I said, it's this different, they gotta be, they have, they gotta have these animals in specific atmospheres right so right um whether it's your goats your sheep so that's why we usually resort to so 90 percent of them are, are italian and the other are english okay uh, some of them don't even like their mills that provide us fabric but they don't grow their own or they don't have their own rules right so right. they get from somewhere else um and they just yarn it differently right so it's just the way they take care of it and that's why we rely mostly on the european countries because these animals obviously got to be in more of a, a hotter country compared to somewhere where it's ice cold and freezing and stuff like that. So that's why we rely mostly on England and Italy, but mostly Italian. So, so so, Italy. sounds to me like this is a, an issue of attention to detail. Is yeah. the Italians and other European sources have a lot of attention to detail. And you can say that about pretty much all businesses that... Uh, that's what distinguishes one business from another is uh, the ones that ha have that uh, focus. And uh, so it sounds to me like the, the Italians uh, leading the way have a, a focus on everything, not, ju not just uh, the fabric, but uh, the animal that the fabric comes from and the conditions the animal lives in, what the animal eats. And it's just, it's incredible to actually think about the, the vertical uh, on that and uh, how in, in the end it pays off in a, in a higher quality fabric. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, and uh, that's a, that's a great point, dad. And as Wasim can probably attest to, I love discussing this topic in great depth. I, I love coming by his shop and just, hanging around looking at different pieces and trying stuff on and having a couple of espressos. And it's uh it's a truly enjoyable experience. And I hope our listeners have enjoyed this discussion as much as, uh, as much as I have, and as much as my dad had. And so uh, on behalf of both of us with seem, we want to thank you for coming on and discussing this topic in such great detail. Hopefully we can have you on it again in the future. We can discuss some other topics, uh, perhaps an episode on women's fashion and, you know, uh, broaden the scope of our, uh, of our discussion further. Absolutely, for sure. Thank All you, right. Matt.
Thank, Thank you, Wasim. Wasim. And if people want to reach out to you, how can they uh, get in touch with you? So on um, on Instagram. So right now my personal Instagram, but soon you'll see the the, the business one where it is hooping in a suit. Um, website is www.noadonis.com. Um, so that's it for now. And obviously, you're, you're, I'm pretty sure you're going to see my logo. For 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 li- for listeners who may not have gotten that, can you spell it out? Yes, so www.noahdonis.com, and on Instagram it is h o o p i n i n s u i t. Excellent. Perfect. Thank you very, very much, Rasim. Bill, I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah, no, thank you, Rasim. Very interesting conversation. It is interesting, and we probably leave it on this note because I could I could have a little further conversation as well. The value of looking good is so important. I it 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 it's incredibly important, and I and so let me let me ask it to you this way: We're seeing I, I, obviously if you cater to athletes, they're right. trying to make a statement. Right. They want it right. So. Why is it taking all of us so long to get into this idea that it's important to make a statement by the way we appear? I think it is um, like it obviously like for me, it's it's, it's mental, right? It's it's a mental thing that I when I when when I'm, I'm out and I'm looking around and I'm like, like, why? You know, like I personally like you can see how the how I dress. One of my brothers, he's probably not going to be happy about this, but. I've seen that guy wear the same t-shirt and the same track pants for like three or four days in a row. And I'm like, do you know who I am? (laughs) (laughs) How are you comfortable? And, and for him, he's just like, you know, I'm comfortable. This is my comfort zone. Right. So it becomes more like, this is my comfort zone. I'm comfortable in this. I do not need anybody to look at me and be like, so he's in, for example, he's, he's in, he, he works with wood and he does tables and stuff like that. Right. So he's always, it's, it's busy wood dirty a little bit more on the dirtier side so he's like to me he's like he doesn't i don't care i go out oh, this is i'm good with how i look i'm comfortable but i think so that's what i think it's more of a comfort thing you know where it's just like this is how i'm comfortable and that's but it, as time has progressed and i've seen i think in the last couple of years especially like you got men are looking more so towards like i got to be presentable even if they're just wearing track pants more a little bit more cleaner you know, like you can, the, the way they're wearing it, it's not something where it's a little bit more on the baggier side, nice and clean, closer to the body. So it's progressing and it's, and we're getting there. So, yeah. It's a cycle. As you mentioned, we're moving now probably from a casual cycle to a, a more formal or presentable cycle. It's, it's very interesting. Hey, John and Alex, thank you so much for facilitating the conversation. Thank you, Bill. Uh, if anybody who's listening wants to get a hold of y'all, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, the uh, best way to is, is to go to our website, which is www.medwealth.ca. That's med-wealth.ca, or they can send us an email at info at medwealth.ca. Uh, and then on our website, it'll have our phone number, our uh, toll-free number as well. And we are also on X, uh, which is at medwealth. That's at med-wealth. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn, uh, both individually and as a company. So people can feel free to reach out to us in any one of those manners. And uh, for, to all the baby boomers in the crowd, we're also on the telephone, 905-568-2000.
and toll free one triple eight five six eight eleven seventy. That's one triple eight five six eight one one seven zero. So don't be afraid to pick up the phone. The phone. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting instrument. <laughs> yes, the, the the original purpose of the mobile device in our pockets was to communicate verbally with one another. Exactly. Yes, that's fantastic, yeah. John. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate the conversation, listeners. If you're not a subscriber, be one. Hit the subscribe button. That way, you'll never miss another episode of this great podcast. We thank you for listening. On behalf of John, Alex, and everybody at MedWealth Financial. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Bill Tucker reminding you, live your best life, not tomorrow, but today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Prescribing Prosperity. Visit our website at med-wealth.ca. That's med-wealth.ca for more information or to connect with us for a consultation. Don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and their guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of IPC Securities Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of a qualified and licensed financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment or retirement planning. MedWealth Financial Services can provide a private consultation to help you determine the suitability of any guidance discussed on the show.